Hello everybody, I hope you're all fine. I won't say long time no see this time, because I released an episode not even a couple of weeks ago. So yet again, welcome to Brian Schaefer's story. A pod series focusing on the inexplicable mysterious disappearance of Brian Schaefer. While most other pods mention him for 25 to 35 minutes and then carry on, we talk much longer than that. Here we spoil our listeners with a varying update frequency also. Episodes are lashed out at random. Weekly, bi-weekly, monthly and yearly. And as always, I'm your host, Edo La Rosa. And as always, I request nothing in return, except that you share the story of Brian Schaefer to family and friends. And keep yourself on the lookout for him out there. I've posted contact information to authorities and eight progression photos on this series' Instagram account. I've also began looking into this uh, printed uh, t-shirts merchandise. I can have the Made in Red with the black Brian Schaefer story logo on, for instance. I'll update you on the progress. Let me know pre-hand if you're interested. So, very soon I'll be on the beautiful Portuguese island of Madeira. But I'll keep track. Thanks as always for tuning in. In this episode we get to follow a college student on a quite bizarre road trip Hanna took down in the Golden State. Let's see what we can make out of this. So let's go to California. If you were to be presented with 30 different photos, and Bryce Laspisa would be among them, you would probably remember Bryce's facial features the most. Glowing red hair, deep blue eyes, and that big T-smile. Bryce Laspisa, a then 19-year-old student living in Rockland, California, went missing in August 2013, under odd circumstances to say the least after a driving and stalling road trip he undertook, where everyone thought he was heading home, but instead ended up to completely disappear. Due to various known interactions that this youngster had during an ordeal that lasted more than 30 hours, this case provides us with insight of what true erratic behavior entails. The why? Maybe we know, and maybe we don't. But there is a lot of harnessing to be done. And it's nonetheless a rare first-hand account that provides us with several interesting aspects if we ourselves want to expand our mindset. As we will learn, some facts will correspond and unfortunately harmonize with other cases covered on the series. Bryce Laspisa's case is a very popular one. 
you probably heard about it already. I'll focus primarily on the main events leading up to his disappearance and try to break down the timeline as we know it. People say it's a confusing case. I say it's a very confusing case. It's hard to keep track of all the back and forth, even if you've documented every tiny moment. The end result could have been an entire episode of its own. At least for myself, I, I'm, I'm more emotional outwardly than my husband is, so there's, there's times that it just hits me, and um, I have to turn to him for that strength. And we always say that we're living our new normal. Um, we live with daily uncertainty, um, but we also know that we have hope. Um, we have our faith, and uh, we, we lean on each other, and we lean on our family and friends. Um, we have to, we stay strong. We stay strong for Bryce. Um, there isn't a day that goes by that we think that this is the day and that somebody's going to find him. And um, there isn't any other way that we can live. Bryce and his family were originally from Illinois, living in Naperville, a suburb of Chicago. Bryce was born the 30th of April 1994 and was the only son of Karen and Mike Laspisa. They were somewhat elderly when they got Bryce and chose to retire when his son had just finished high school. Bryce has been described as an easygoing, hassle-free and amiable guy who would lit up a room with his big smile and magnetic personality. Upon them retiring, the Las Pisas decided to settle down and enjoy their retirement in a warm estate. And so they moved to California and the paradise city of Laguna Niguel. For Bryce, this period meant searching for a place where to continue his studies after high school. Bryce was reportedly creative and artistically talented, and he opted for a degree in graphic and industrial design. Worth to note is that Bryce chose to move to Rockland and study at a community college called Sierra College, around 465 miles away, that is 750 kilometers, from his parents in Laguna Niguel. Rocklin is located northwest of Sacramento, while Laguna Niguel sits south of LA. There were at least 222 available colleges in the state that offered the same type of degree that Bryce chose. So Bryce wouldn't just have moved to another state at this point, but he would be living in a complete opposite geographical location within the state itself compared to his parents. His parents weren't shy to support Bryce in his new endeavor. They provided and paid for Bryce's car, his phone, and a debit card. By all accounts, Bryce settles in well in this new environment. Bringing his talent and skills, he's really performing in his freshman year at Sierra College. He builds new friendships. He also starts dating and enters a relationship with a female student from Chico, California. The summer of 2013, Bryce spent the summer at his parents' house. According to the parents, Bryce had had a blast during the holidays, inviting his new friends down to their home and enjoying the wonderful surroundings of Laguna Niguel. Nothing worthy of note, except that they all had had a great time. Returning to Rocklin, he preceded the start of his sophomore year at Sierra College by a couple of weeks. Things were supposed to be the same, but there was something in the air pertaining to Bryce's ways, prior of his studies recommencing. 
and after just a few days in school, things started to shift quite drastically. Bryce's girlfriend and his roommate had been increasingly alarmed by a sudden change in Bryce's behavior this second time around. Like something had happened to him, and it wasn't subtle. Bryce had, for instance, started to consume considerable amounts of hard liquor, and he had also started to experiment with an ADHD drug without prescription so he could stay up all night and play video games. In one way, it was like the old Bryce never really came back, but the new character had emerged. The first day of school, on the 26th of August, Bryce goes for the normal, however, and gets in contact with his mom and lets her know that everything has started off well. He also posts an image on Instagram, where at around midnight he informs that he's gotten hold of the latest Madden NFL game for his Xbox. Two days in, in his sophomore year, Bryce now suddenly sends the girlfriend a text that she's better off without him. When she asks him if Bryce was breaking up with her, he replied, yes. Bryce's roommate and dearest friend also receives a text, where Bryce mysteriously writes, I love you bro, seriously, you're the best person I've ever met, you saved my soul. The roommate texts back a few minutes later saying, I love you too man, you have an amazing life, full of love and blessings, don't waste that. You have too many people who love you Bryce. So the same roommate on the 28th of August, after learning that Bryce had given away his Xbox and a pair of cherished diamond earrings, the roommate makes a phone call to Bryce's mother to voice concerns over Bryce's altered behavior and that he was legitimately worried for Bryce's well-being. That same evening, we can call it bizarro mode on. What's about to happen begin here onwards. Bryce starts off by driving the vehicle in possession, a Toyota Highlander from 2003, which again his parents were the owners of, to his girlfriend's apartment in Chico, about two hours north from Rocklin, and Bryce's own residence. Reportedly, the visit is made to confirm their breakup in their relationship. It's becoming more apparent than ever, however, to Bryce's girlfriend, that something is totally off with Bryce and contemplating what could happen if Bryce drove off in this condition. For her, the only reasonable thing she can do at this point is to take the keys of the Toyota. After a degree of commotion back and forth, Bryce isn't still getting his keys back. Bryce's only remedy now is to phone his mother. Bryce's mother manages to convince her to hand the keys back. And then Bryce takes off at around 11.30 p.m. Afterwards, the mother recounted that Bryce had told both her and his dad that he was fine. They both insisted if he was okay, and he told them that he was. However, concerned by the recent events, Bryce's mother tells Bryce, I'm worried. Let me come up there tomorrow. Let me fly up there tomorrow. Bryce responds with a puzzling phrase that would later be the source of much speculation. No, mom, don't make an airline reservation until I talk to you, because I have a lot to talk to you about. According to them, Bryce didn't sound distraught or heartbroken. They told him to go back to his apartment and call them in the morning. What Bryce wanted to talk with his mother about is still unknown. 
She would mention that she had no clue what could have occurred in the time span of those two weeks after returning to college that Bryce had been so eager to talk about. They had just spent the entire summer together and he seemed happy and carefree going back. Bryce called back that very night at 1am. She didn't pick up however as she assumed he just wanted to confirm he had made it back to his place in Rockland. But in reality, Bryce was nowhere near his apartment. Cell phone records would later reveal he had driven much further south, towards the Tehachapi Mountains and an unknown destination. It is very much regrettable if Bryce in fact called his mom at 1am because he felt the time was right to relay whatever information he had wanted to talk to her about. The fact that this conversation at this stage didn't occur, perhaps altered the ordeal. Because things were only going to get stranger and stranger. On the 29th of August, at about 11am, the Las Pisas received an automated alert from their insurance company that the Toyota Highlander, the car that Price had been driving, had requested a roadside assistance. But they were unable to reach Price when they called him, and they couldn't therefore inquire if he had been involved in any type of accident. But the mother phones the apartment. The Las Pisas are shocked to learn from the roommate that Bryce never came home the night before. And now looking for various clues on what could have happened, they're able to find a credit card transaction from Bryce. It pointed towards a firm called Castro Tyrant Truck, a repair shop close to the freeway in Buttonwillow, a small desert town off of Interstate 5. They reached out to the repair shop and learned that the man on the phone, Christian, had provided three gallons of gas to Bryce after Bryce had called from a rest stop in the area and said that he had run out of gas. Christian couldn't add anything else in relation to Bryce's whereabouts, except for that service at around 9am. Christian, however, offers to go back and check if Bryce is still there. Returning to the area, Christian is surprised to see Bryce on the exact same spot where he left him three hours earlier. And after notifying the mother, Christian simply hands his phone over to Bryce so the conversation can continue between mother and son. Bryce's mother asks Bryce what he's up to and then tells him to fuel up and drive the remaining three hours back to their home. And Bryce, it seems, proceeds to follow his mother's instructions. He fuels up at the nearby gas station and gets on his way. He's expected to arrive at his parents' house at around 3 p.m. Awaiting for Bryce's arrival, the Las Pisas are once again surprised that Bryce, by 3.30, still hasn't showed up. Upon calling him several times and leaving messages, they also cannot get hold of him. Several more hours pass. Eventually, they become so dismayed that they now feel their only option left is to call police. They get in touch with the Orange County Sheriff's Office and file a missing person report. The immediate steps taken by the Sheriff's Office is to try to locate Bryce's phone. They get in contact with the cellular provider of the Las Pisas and are in fact in short notice actually successful to ping Bryce's cell phone. The Las Pisas are shocked to learn that the ping reveals that Bryce is still in the outskirts of the rural town of Buttonwillow. This means that Bryce has hardly moved for the past nine hours. 
he's basically just been sitting in his car. Officers are dispatched and manage to locate Bryce's car, and they approach and talk to him. According to the deputies, Bryce seems lucid to them. He passes a field sobriety test, so he's not under the influence. Bryce appears talkative and, and cooperative in answering their questions. They also search his vehicle, but don't find anything illicit with regards to drugs, stimulants or alcohol. The deputies also ask Bryce what he's up to, and why his parents filed a missing persons report. He conveys to them that he's basically blowing off some steam, clearing his mind a little bit, but that he eventually will have to Laguna Niguel. The Las Pisas at this point are really eager to find out if Bryce is okay, but the situation on site seems somewhat comforting. Bryce is in the car, no drugs or alcohol, and the deputy seems reassuring that Bryce is able to make it home. The only thing that deputies report that raises an eyebrow is that Bryce really seems reluctant to talk to his parents, to the point that one of the deputies takes Bryce's phone, dials his mother's number, and gives the phone back to Bryce and says, you need to talk to your mom. When Bryce's mother confronts her son, she is of course relieved that Bryce is fine, but she's worried that they now had to drive in the middle of the night. The deputies end their dispatch after assessing that Bryce is okay, and after overhearing this conversation between mother and son. They are satisfied that Bryce was to head south and Laguna Niguel. About an hour later, the tow truck driver, Christian, returns a call he had missed from Bryce's mother. She tells him about recent events that, that Bryce had been in Bottom Willow that whole time. But that now was on its way, despite being deemed unnecessary. In a repeated act of kindness, Christian goes to check if that was the case. If that in fact was the case. And not even 15 minutes later, Christian dials her back and says, Bryce is still right here. In a time perspective, this meant that for unknown reasons, Bryce had been lingering in Button Willow for 13 hours straight. Christian now valiantly offers to follow Bryce to the freeway and make sure that he gets on his way to his parents. After a 30 minute drive towards the freeway, and after more than 10 miles on Interstate 5 itself, Christian reports back to the parents that Bryce was on his way to them. In the next couple of hours, Bryce and his parents exchange several calls. The parents keen to follow his progress. They ask Bryce to describe road signs on the freeway. Bryce seems to have evaded the question, blaming poor visibility amongst else. He affirms to them, however, that he's entered the correct route in his car's GPS and that he would be arriving at 3.25 a.m. that morning. At 2.09 a.m., Bryce phones his parents and tells them that he is too tired to drive. He wants to continue his journey after getting a few hours of sleep in his car. The parents give their consent to this. He had, at this point, been on the road for more than 24 hours. Later in the morning, De Las Pisas, here, the front doorbell ring. And anxious to open and expecting Bryce, when they open the door, they instead stand face to face with a California Highway Patrol officer. The officer asks De Las Pisas if they are the owners of a beige 2003 Toyota Highlander, and they reply, our son has that car. 
Traffic cameras would eventually show Bryce did not actually pull over to sleep. Instead, he drove to Castaic Lake, one of the largest state reservoirs in California and a 12,000-acre recreational facility just 40 miles north of downtown LA. The patrol officer explains the Toyota Highlander has been found wrecked, lying on its side on a small access road. And the supposed driver of the vehicle, nowhere near the scene of the accident. Earlier that morning, at around 5.30, highway patrol officers stumbled upon the crashed Toyota Highlander that Price had been driving. The abandoned car had plummeted down a 25-foot embankment before smashing on the road below with a front bumper and then crashing on its side. So right off the main Interstate 5, the Castaic Lake recreation area was accessible from a road called Lake Youth Road. After the junction from the freeway, this road passed service and small-scale residential areas and a dam by Castaic Lake until turning much more rural, heading towards Youth Lake, a considerable distance away. Bryce made his way on this road, and unbeknownst, he was actually caught twice on a road surveillance camera that took photos of Brian's car license plate. The first photo was captured at 2.15 a.m. The same camera only captured still images from cars going forward. At 4.30, the same camera took another still image of Bryce's car. So this meant that Bryce must have been looping around. You are supposed to pull over and rest, and this guy is instead driving around in circles for a couple of hours. It couldn't continue this way. Sometime after 4.30, Bryce got to a hiller part of Lake Youth Road, with a clear viewpoint of the Castaic Lake beneath. He pauses at the gated cell tower structure with a steep and craggy embankment. Bryce launched the Toyota down the hill, accelerating the vehicle as it went down, until it smashed on the road below. By all indications, Bryce's aim had been to crash the car into the lake from his elevated position. But due to the darkness, or his distress, failed to spot the service road below the ledge. The crash must have been violent. But examining the Highlander, with no signs of Bryce near the car, 
It didn't look as if Bryce had sustained life-threatening injuries by this collision. A small droplet of blood was found on the passenger seat headrest, and it looked like the rear window had been smashed from the inside of the vehicle. The possessions he had carried along, his phone, wallet and laptop, were found inside the wreck. The impact must have left Bryce dazed and disoriented, but not injured enough to be able to move, and move considerably, because Bryce, it turned out, was nowhere to be found. Law enforcement and search and rescue crews scoured the massive area around Castaic Lake for days on end. The lake itself was searched with divers and state-of-the-art sonar equipment. Aerial sweeps were also conducted. Every attempt came back empty-handed for finding Bryce. The narrative investigators pieced together was that Bryce initially had been suicidal and tried to end his life by driving to the lake. The canine teams brought in would however alter this disappearance to another level. Two separate dogs were able to follow Bryce's scent to a nearby truck stop. Bryce would have had to walk quite a distance to get there, on a road on a dam itself, and past the spillway. At the truck stop itself, however, the scent was lost, giving detectives reason to believe Bryce could have gotten a ride from there to an unknown location. Family and friends did their utmost to find any signs of Bryce. Missing posters were wallpapered in a truck stop area and in nearby communities. A billboard was erected in Castaic Lake, featuring Bryce's image and information, and a Facebook page was set up to relay information and updates to the public. A few days after Bryce's disappearance, a burned body was discovered at Lake Hughes Road about three miles away from where the Toyota was found crashed. It initiated a lot of commotion if it could have been Bryce. Identifying the remains, the later, however, turned out to belong to Lamondre Miles, a homicide victim from the Fremont area in South LA. Police apprehended three people for the slaying. During the years, many people have been rallying behind attempts of the family to spread awareness around Bryce's whereabouts. The Las Pisas received numerous tips and possible sightings from across the western United States, but nothing has panned out. So what happened to Bryce? The lead detective doesn't believe that Bryce died at Castaic Lake or the surrounding area and didn't succumb to foul play that morning. His adamant deserted diligently enough to conclude that Bryce left by the truck stop and could be out there somewhere, possibly alive. Bryce had, by all indication, it seemed, attempted to take his own life, but when not succeeding in doing so, he could have had a change of plans and decided to walk out of his life instead. They explained Bryce's erratic behavior as being induced by the combination of alcohol and the stimulant he was experimenting with, Vyvanse. Karen and Michael Spisa have never considered Bryce could have been able to bail out and walk away from them and his life. There was nothing Bryce couldn't talk to me about, Karen has said. Bryce's girlfriend, Kim, and his roommate, Sean, believe Bryce was up to no good after his return to Sierra College after the summer holidays. They, in fact, present and close to Bryce, noticed firsthand that Bryce's changing behavior didn't bode well. 
Sean must have understood that Bryce was going to do something drastic after he had given away his prized possessions. And Kim realized that when Bryce started using stimulants with alcohol and getting behind the wheel, it now raised some serious risks. But their alert failed to prevent what happened that morning. In fact, all attempts made under roughly two days to lead Bryce to a safe harbor failed. Certainly, the combination of heavy drinking and the use of the stimulant Vivance is not optimal to say the least. Vivance is a derivative of amphetamine, normally prescribed to people with ADHD to counter hyperactivity and impulsive behavior. Reportedly, Vivance is also notoriously used among some college students to increase cognitive functions, such as being able to focus better and stay up longer. Admittedly, there can be side effects to this medication. A physician prescribes a medication with backed pharmaceutical guidelines and the notion that the benefits outweigh the downsides. These type of stimulants can cause a crash or calm down if not administered correctly or used properly in the right dosage, resulting in sleep deprivation, eating disorders, mood changes, anxiety, and in the extremes, depression and suicidal thoughts. We have no way of knowing how much of the stimulant was used by Bryce. We can only conclude that using Vivance without the prescription and as a surplus adding vast amount of alcohol into the mix is not a stellar decision. Bryce's ordeal lasted at least from late evening the 28th of August to early morning hours of the 30th. We're talking roughly 36 hours. Even if we're not scientific enough to calculate the half-life effect of the amphetamine-like compound in Vivance, and therefore the concentration in Bryce's body of this drug, and we don't know the exact amount of liquor he had had, we can easily deduce this consumption had messed with his head. We see complete erratic behavior from Bryce's part during the ordeal but also a calm and eerily stationary conduct. An ability to comport himself in a presentable manner when required, talking to his parents and sounding normal, and presenting a behaved and rational side to the deputies. Conflicting messages throughout this whole ordeal. So how to go about and process this data to harness useful information? If Bryce had been in a total state of psychosis, he wouldn't have been able to go as far as he managed to. One or more of the interaction experienced would have blocked this road to nowhere, like a road barrier. But at the same time, the end result, with Bryce aiming to crash the Toyota into the lake, tells us something was dead wrong. It's difficult to know the true motives of an individual who's acting out in a state of mind. It's so straightforward to jump directly to the last moment, the car crashing down with him behind the wheel, as the main explanation of what Bryce Laspisa was up to. But could this have been a part of something else, and not necessarily the end of something? A reset. In reference to the beginning, I see similar details in this case as with others. If we go back to the concept in the last episode, the two squares, I mentioned that square two meant trouble. In these types of bewildering disappearances, 
were left like dumb spectators, trying to piece out what we just witnessed. The questions left are stacked on top of each other without an apparent explanation. Bryce Lespisa's case is a phenomenally rare case that sort of provides with a first-hand overview of what it entails to enter square two. It's just trouble, folks. Even if some individuals went to extreme length to resolve the situation, every attempt undertaken failed to extract Bryce from the square of trouble. The roommate, the girlfriend, the tow truck driver, the deputies, his parents. People in square two seem to keep going until they meet or do something that stops them right in their tracks. Whether Bryce ultimately took or abandoned his life that morning or succumbed to the elements, it's literally already a game over, a loss. What transpires after that doesn't change that score. It's as if the game is rigged, and I don't know what else to say about it. Sometimes when stuck, look to others, remember. Bewildering as they may seem, these aren't always completely isolated cases. Some of these disappearances bear equivalent signs. This road to nowhere that Bryce undertook should in reality have been a straightforward task. But it had so many twists and turns, it's unbelievable. It should have been an easy A to B, either to his apartment or to his parents' place. Instead, it got total nonsensical. It had no purpose. Much like Brian Schaefer and his own mysterious movements inside the gateway building at night, it should have been a hassle for A to B. Instead, Brian chose to skate past the designated exit twice for reasons we do not yet comprehend, except that in Brian's case, things could have been accidental. Bryce Lespisa's behavior that night. These are facts we came to learn about, and they are already off the chart. Imagine what we don't know. There are still large of unaccounted chunks of unknowns from all those other hours. Think of Terence Wood's own vanishing. He threw himself off a steep hillside, much like Bryce did. In fact, the slope of the embankment and the road below are almost identical to one another. On imagery, it's hard to tell them apart. And attempts to extract Terence Wood from his square too were also in vain. Crew members who lost themselves after Terence when he ran into the woods returned bruised up with the garments torn apart. The sheriff went as far as to say that Terence must have heard the professional rescuers looking for him, but chose to remain hidden. Terence Woods also spoke of his parents in a negative tone the day he vanished. Bryce didn't answer many of the calls and was really reluctant to speak to his own parents during the ordeal. Why the parents? The parents are their ultimate and only true source of real love. In stark contrast to the powerful, fugacious and self-destructive force that resides in square two. Instead of exerting a shining and benevolent influence, in this state, their love instead becomes this dark veil that obscures and impedes them from their mysterious agenda. The dark veil also seems to cover their tracks from technical gizmos and search parties, holding them captive across time and engulfing the true secret of where they are. For us, trying to find the real cause of what eventually happen or where they are 
it's a hard task. Why? Because at this very moment, we are in square one. We are rational, thinking sound. We see things from this perspective. The curiosity that sparks us to keep digging is really just a manifestation of our own desire to understand something we really can't comprehend. But if their whereabouts are rendered invisible to us, I think ultimately we only need to crack one of these cases wide open and the others might follow. The question is, will someone grant us that wish for us or do we have to roll up the sleeves ourselves and do the job? Bryceless Pisa is a white Caucasian male considered endangered missing. He was 19 years old at the time of his disappearance. He wore a blue and white checkered shirt, white cargo shorts and a size 12 red and white Nike shoes. Bryce has a tattoo of a Taurus ball head and his birthday number in Roman numerals on his upper left arm and pierced ears. If you have any information on Bryce Las Pisa, call the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Office at 323 890 5500